Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. So welcome to today's podcast. Today we will be talking about uh, trauma in the personal injury world. We know all too well as case managers and solicitors alike that trauma sort of barrels its way into our clients' lives completely uninvited. It wrecks the world that we know that they live in and leaves them completely on their own to try and pick up the pieces and put their lives back together. Opportunities, relationships, careers or education, their homes, um, ultimately their I guess their hopes and their dreams and their futures are no longer what they used to be or what they could have been. Loss and sadness feels like it doesn't even begin to capture all of this. So the emotional trauma of incurring a personal injury and how that can increase the risk of anxiety, depression, panic attacks, anger, challenging behaviours, phobias, OCD, etc. is huge. And it's something that we as case managers and solicitors need to really bear in mind with our clients. And so that's really the point of today's podcast in many ways. We know that the research tells us that depression, for example, is an important predictor of um, rehabilitation and recovery and that trauma is not only uh, a client deep issue, it does also affect those um, in our close relationships and family connections. So today we have Dr. Marion Trent talking to us. Hi, hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. You are a clinical psychologist, you are trained in a number of trauma-related and trauma-informed therapies, and um, you mainly work with, I guess, compassion, I think you say, and um, I really like your description of yourself. You're a human first, and that approach is woven through everything that you do. It certainly is, yes. I think I always had that approach anyway. And then Mm. I think discovering um, CFT, which is compassion focused therapy, really helped me feel proud of that. So I think I'd always been quite unique and quite bespoke to the client and kind of weaving in things and, you know, sharing, you know, things that seemed relevant. But, Mm. you know, I think the COVID pandemic has been real, a real leveler for so many of us and very much brought more of the human element into the therapy room for so many people. And I guess that case managers and solicitors are also finding the same, you know, because we are struggling with the same beast, although I do understand in very different um, in very different circumstances at times. So I think, yes, definitely a human first. Yeah, no, that's great. It's not often that you um, you hear people particularly professionals talking about themselves being a human and then bringing in other elements of their specialisms. So that's fantastic. You have some experience of working in personal injury, am I right? And um, particularly, obviously, trauma. And I would say grief as well. That's your other sort of thing? Yes, yeah, it is. I sort of became a specialist in grief when I experienced grief myself. And that really helped Mm. me develop my compassion and my understanding for how how different things can affect people. So whilst, you know, it doesn't doesn't take getting hit by a bus yourself to realise that it hurts, <laughs> it does somewhat add a little bit of context. And I appreciate that might not be a very nice turn of phrase when we're looking at personal injury, but it does describe the point quite well. 
um yeah. it does it does help the compassion to to develop um that bit quicker that empathy to deepen and and to to really get it to really get this significant impact of of the things that that our clients are dealing with so um i do work um in the nhs and in private practice and in terms of litigation um as you probably know we don't actually work with people therapeutically in the nhs until the litigation is is settled and with waiting mm. lists that's often not a problem unfortunately because things have often um, come to fruition by the time people are picked up but certainly in my private practice um, I work with cases that that come via legal teams for people that have been involved in personal injury um, mm. cases so yeah I do I do you know this is bread and butter for me trauma yeah. is my bag but also I'm experienced with working with um, with solicitors and with with their clients yeah no that's that makes you perfect for this uh podcast um <laughs> tell me um what you would say because trauma grief sometimes they're kind of used interchangeably probably not so much in the personal injury world to be fair but there is a clear relationship isn't there between trauma and grief and i'm just curious as an expert in both of those ideas whether they differ really and how we should maybe be thinking about them as separate or similar things in the personal injury work we do for me the way that i explain trauma is when something from then so something from before is mm. is kind of creeping into the now and this is easier to describe when i've got my hands to gesticulate with um so <laughs> i will I try to make sure that I, yeah um so yeah stuff that that might have happened you know a few years ago might have happened a few months ago it might have happened many years ago but for some reason, that doesn't feel that way. So when we're enduring trauma, when something happens that's that's really scary to us, then what actually matters is that we're surviving, we're getting through that. And so what happens is that the the very much primitive areas of our brain are in control at that point. So you will have heard of the fight and flight response. And, you know, mm -hmm. that is there because what doesn't matter is, you know, whether we can suddenly look and notice the shade of the grass or, you know, what. What, whether the sun's fully out or you know, that doesn't matter because that's that could potentially mean the difference between life and death so what happens is the part of our brain that usually manages that so the kind of the more the more developed parts the bits that you know do help you um, develop jet engines and things like that those bits go offline <laughs> and the bits that are left are the bits that are going to help you run away from the snake or you know fight somebody so that you can get away and be free um, so what happens is the bit that time and date stamps, the bit that tells you, oh, that was 13 years ago or that was four months ago. That's not actually online at the point of the trauma. And obviously, with with a number of your cases, uh, it might be that the person was physically unconscious or, or not responsive at the time of this, which then doesn't help mm. the time and date stamp. Because the way that we ground ourselves, the way that we normalize our experiences and know that we're safe is to use that ability to know that we're safe but if you know if you didn't have that at the time then it doesn't almost get filed away in the right filing cabinet drawer if that makes sense so what can be really useful about the trauma work is to help do that processing so mm. that so that the brain learns oh yeah that's not now that was six years ago oh yeah it feels like that now so that's often mm. what we're trying to get to with a client because if they're not feeling safe in the moment then it's really difficult to live your life, isn't it? If you can imagine that you are feeling under threat or terrorised, you're not going to be that functional because every every aspect of your life is going to be that much more challenging. And I think where there's an overlap with grief is that 
it, it can be complicated when relationships are difficult. But, you know, quite often we're in, with grief, it's people that have been dearly loved and dearly cherished. Um, and when when something happens to them, it can rock our foundations so much that we just can't imagine living life or wanting to live life without them. And again, it can feel like the top bit of our brain kind of goes offline and you're operating an autopilot. So you do sometimes have that that derealization and that kind of needing to help them assimilate the now and the then. So there is definitely trauma work to be done with people who do grieve. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. That's really helpful. So they are related. And I suppose one thing about grief, I guess it's not just about that interpersonal um, aspect. Um, I'm thinking about, um, I guess, the loss of hopes and dreams and future as one thought that they would be living it, that there would be a grief response to that as well. Yeah. So um, recently with the COVID pandemic, um, Mm -hmm. I actually wrote an article for The Telegraph quite recently about this, that, that grief is not just about death. Grief can be about so much. Grief can be, like you mm-hmm. said, about loss of hopes and dreams, loss of chances. So people are, you know, currently in their first year of university or whatever, and they're not getting a chance to do that, or they're not getting a chance to get married, or they're not getting the chance to go off and have their gap years that they've saved yeah. hard for. Or You know, there's so much grief. And that that grief is still grief. You know, grief matters. There's no grief hierarchy. Um, you're allowed to grieve for things. Grief is not just about death. Grief is about yearning. Grief is about feeling like there's a lot of not fairness with grief as well. Mm. But um, grief is not just about death. So, you know, I guess for the case managing solicitors who might be listening, it's really important to to hold on to that concept of grief and that it's very likely that their clients are going to be grieving. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And I liked what you were saying about um, safety and containment, I guess, in a way that makes me believe even more that when we are working with our clients who are personally injured, it really is crucial that we help them feel safe and contained. And I guess that's ultimately what a good therapeutic alliance or a rapport or, a, you know, that working relationship allows us to do. Because without that, it's very hard to move on and process, as you say, that trauma um, and be able to feel less anxious, less depressed and all those other uh, responses that... That trauma can make you feel in addition mm-hmm. yeah no that's really helpful thank you and you, you've explained a little bit of um in your description as I know it um to uh compassion focused therapy could you say a little bit more about compassion focused therapy perhaps sure. for, the, for our listeners who um as you've already highlighted are not necessarily psychologically trained and that's a very uh, psychological training sort of idea um is it possible to sort of break it down into um a sort of neat little package <laughs> for our I will audience? do my very best so <laughs> it was you. um it's really been pioneered by uh, the lovely Paul Gilbert Professor Paul Gilbert actually um mm. and Deborah Lee and Chris Irons have um have furthered the work as well Um, And their books are really interesting if anyone wanted to check them out. Um, But what it is, is the concept that we're, it's kind of built on the the tenets of us having these really tricky brains. So um, like I said, we've got the older parts of our brain, which might be the more reptilian parts. We've got the mammalian parts, which allow us to live together in groups. And then we've got the human kind of parts of our brain. Um, But the thinking is that actually it's the human parts that really complicate things. You know, it's the human parts that elicit things like guilt and shame 
And it's the human parts that do wonderful things like do create those jet engines and do help people land on the moon. But it's also the human parts that can can be get ruminative thoughts, you know, that can get really stuck. And actually, that can be really useful because we've got these problem solving brains that do then allow these ruminative thoughts to cogitate until you do hatch the idea that does, you know, get you on the moon. Um, But sometimes other stuff gets stuck as well and just goes around and around and around. And we're also aware that, you know, other people have got opinions about us. So this will be around for the clients that that case managers and solicitors are working with as well. Um, You know, the client is very aware often Um, perhaps not with all brain injuries, but very aware that other people will have thoughts and feelings about them, you know, either then or now, um, or what they'll be like in the future. And that might affect their responses, you know, that might affect how they, they feel like they're being seen. So it's really built on the on the concept of this not being our fault. So a lot of the stuff that is problematic for humans that sets us up for a trauma reaction that sets us up for grief Mm -hmm. you know because we can be triggered by so many external factors so we can be triggered by sound we can be triggered by um, sight we can be triggered by touch and sensation even so if someone had Mm -hmm. a serious car collision for example even the sensation of being in a car with having the body re-feel just a normal seatbelt on them can be massively triggering because of the way that the body holds the score, if that makes sense. So, yeah. But none of that is our fault because we've got these tricky brains that we didn't ask for, that we didn't want. And we've also got this concept that, you know, we're all where we're at right now because of the decisions and the thoughts and the processes and the people who've shaped our lives. So partly it will be, you know, my genetic makeup that that led me to sitting on this sofa talking to you today. And that really isn't my fault. You know, it's also not, you know, part of my story was done the the second I was born, really, because, you know, it's my parents' hopes and dreams and, you know, their ability to attend to me or not attend to me. Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. compassion focused therapy is really about so much of a person's story is not their fault. And that's not enabling, that's not permissiveness, but it's thinking that actually we're all trying to do our best to get through each day with these incredibly complicated brains and with decisions that have been taken for us. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it really does. And it really puts into context, I think, when you said, you know, a lot of these factors that can be triggering are external to us as, as the, the the sort of uh, injured past person to use the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the type of client that we're, we're talking about and that we that we work with. And it, it, it makes me think a little bit more around um, a lot of the time when you are as catastrophically injured as our clients are you are relying massively on other people and they indeed can be um, part of, I guess, the solution, but also part of the problem when it For comes sure. to, um, sure. and, I, and, it, and not just because there is, I think you talked about, is it the mammalian brain that, yeah. um, that, that kind of craves that sort of togetherness, that sense of mm-hmm. community, I guess, uh, the interpersonal needs, but of course, if the people that who who are, who you are sort of contextualized within your family, I guess, partners, you know, kids, parents, close friends, may also be massively traumatized mm-hmm. by the injury that has happened to to you as the individual with the personal injury. It has Feel, such big ripple effects, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it exactly. really extends beyond that individual person. So the person who is at the centre of this may originally have been living independently 
you know, they might not have even seen their family that much because they've been so independent. They might have been doing that backpacking year. You know, they might have been off doing something. And then something happened that really changed the path that their life was heading in. But it also changes the path of those around them, you know, their next of kin, the people who are then suddenly, you know, perhaps they were looking for, parents were looking forward to a retirement and being needed less by their children or whatever, or imagining that their children were going to grow up soon and leave the house. And then it's all change. And there's going to be grief, there's going to be loss, there's going to be adjustment, you know, it's going to have a big impact, you know, this leads to this leads to great big systemic changes within families. It sometimes leads to the loss of life of people within families who just can't cope with this. And it's a big deal. This is real people's lives, but people's lives that expand beyond just that one person whose name is on the paper. Yes. And I think that it's really important for us to to remember that, particularly when you put it in in those words, you know, people lose their lives as a result of Mm -hmm. the personal injury that has been incurred by someone else because of the relationship that person has Mm -hmm. and the impact it has had on them I mean it's it's frightening in some ways but I'm also very aware that 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 is something that if formulated by those working with the person with personal with with the personal injury that there is a sense of understanding the fragility of that context that there is some hope that healing can occur, not just but within the system that that person yeah. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. We're all uh, just people trying to get through each day with the resources that we've got on any given yeah. day. So it might be that a mother or a father was doing well, doing, you know, holding it together on on any particular day. But that doesn't mean that that's going to be the case every day. Or it might be that you see them on a bad day, but actually things are, are, are easier or different. But we just can't know. We're all, all of us, and this is part of the CFT, just doing our best to get through each day with the resources that we've got. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So with bearing that in mind, that's really helpful, actually, to have that sort of very clear um, and concise sort of description of um, the impact of trauma and the evidence base I suppose that it, mm-hmm. it can come from in terms of compassion focused therapy I'm thinking for our audience in those moments where they are with a client with personal injury and trauma is very much so in the room mm-hmm. do you have um two or three sort of practical or sort of reflective ideas that can help us frame our involvement in our interaction with that personal injury client their families um okay. even their care teams or therapy yeah. teams I think sometimes it's it's really useful and it's something that as a psychologist I have to do as well is to really think about the person before the accident so um you know quite often you might work with somebody who had a, a high flying job or was able to do really great things and then when by the time you meet them for the first time it can be difficult to hold that person in mind. And, you know, it's quite common when you're working with people with brain injury that you might always, you know, when if someone's struggling with managing their emotions, um, that somebody might think, oh, well, they've probably always been a bit angry anyway. Well, no, they mm. haven't. That, this, is, this is total black and white night and day for them. So it really can be useful to really try to connect a little bit to to the you know the pre-existing personality the pre-existing person to just really connect to what it is that they have lost 
But of course, with insight, the person might not always know what it is that they have lost. Um, And so it will be the family. The story will be coming from the family. And that might come with a great deal of expressed emotion. So really holding on to that, but not not being scared of people's tears. So not feeling like you've asked the wrong question that's that's made people cry, I think is really useful. So I know that's sort of a double-edged advice point, but don't be scared of people crying because crying is really useful. And sometimes people yeah. cry because they're so pleased to have had a question asked as well. Like yeah. It's not always that you know, you're responsible for making them cry. And quite often people don't mind crying it's very therapeutic in itself yeah yeah no absolutely I'm I'm mindful that the litigation journey as well kind of brings points within it that can sometimes feel like it's it's re-traumatizing re-triggering that trauma for the client and the one sure. thing that comes into my mind is the expert witness statements that uh, and reports assessments that need to be to be done um, there can be and, a fair few of them, can't there? Oh my goodness, yes, you know, um, and not oh, just obviously yes. as you know from the claimant side, but from the defendant side as well. Right, yeah, everything's got to be done twice. Um, yeah, yeah. So I would say that, um, and this is something I hear time and time again, certainly in NHS care, when someone's seeing different people each time. Certainly at the beginning, they're like, "Oh no, I've got to tell it again. Oh, can't you just read what's already been written?" and it's like, well, actually, no, I do need to hear it from you because I might think about this differently or might want to ask different questions. But it can be really exhausting for somebody, mm-hmm. um, you know, because in terms of time frames, this can this can all happen, you know, within two weeks, you know, that they might need to do all 10, 20 of these um, these expert reports and these expert interviews. So, you know, it's worth thinking about how well supported that person is. Are they going to be by themselves? Do they, would they benefit from having their case manager with them? Have they already got an existing relationship with them? And, you know, would that actually help support the person to help make sure that it didn't feel like it was re-traumatising or didn't feel like it was a complete assault on the senses Mm -hmm. to having to be going over this time and time again? So if there is, I know know these things don't come for free, but I think if there was remit to, to think about including case managers within within all or some of those interviews, then I think that would be compassionate and that would be treating the person as an important individual, not just as a another case file. And I appreciate that there's lots of sad stories in offices all over the country, all over the world, but these are still real people's lives and real people need support, real people need help. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it certainly feels very real when a client feels safe and able to tell you what's happened and the impact it's having on them um, and their loved ones Mm -hmm. Um, that's really really uh, helpful thank you so if you were to summarize kind of the main points of today's discussion what would be kind of your take-home points for us that may not necessarily be sort of practical as such like the ones that you've just mentioned but just something for us to bear in mind to, to kind of if there's one or two things that you would say don't yeah. forget this <laughs> okay so obviously people people were people first they had these big important busy lives they've been and done things that are unique to them that might not interest the people sitting in front of them we might be very different people because we often are but that, that their life has mattered and 
they had hopes and dreams and they were going somewhere and whatever mm. this you know index injury is has taken them has either has either put a full stop on their their experience or has taken them in a different direction than the one that they were the one they were imagining and so to really try and hold that in mind um, would be I guess one of our key summary points yeah and to just just to really think about how trauma affects every aspect of a person's life so they can be we triggered by so many things, hearing things, seeing things, smelling things, tasting things, touching things, and that they don't exist in a unique ecosystem. They exist within their own unique family setup, which might be meeting their needs adequately, but might be falling way short of that. And that the ecosystem around them, the family, might also be struggling with this. It's a big deal. And for many, many cases I've worked with, they're like, I'd rather have no money and just have had this never happen. And so yeah. it's important to hold on to that as well, I think. Oh, gosh, if I had a penny <laughs> every time I hear that. <laughs> heard that. Uh, but that's really that's great. Thank you so much. I mean, f- for me, it's it again highlights yet again what you said that the unseen impact of a personal injury, which is the the emotional trauma that has been caused more so in some ways than some of the physical injuries can be as debilitating and so need to be very much so held in mind by us I suppose as the um, the sort of aware and informed professionals who understand the, the far-reaching impact of personal injury that it is more than a physical uh, experience really mm-hmm. um, and that Absolutely. it does impact on um, those around which Mm. can indeed have an uh, you know be obstructive and and a barrier to rehabilitation which is obviously what we're all here to try and help with are those rehabilitation goals and moving things on um, in terms of recovery and of course um, as you've highlighted in terms of settlements as well I really like the idea of um, bringing the human into the into the sort of space the 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 case management and uh, legal space and being okay with that it's almost I feel like you've given us permission to do oh, that yes absolutely. Um, <laughs> and that there's evidence based for it compassion focused therapy absolutely we'll, we'll advocate for that because I guess safety and containment is core to all of this um and that's all we're trying to do with our clients as you were talking about your uh, about the compassion focused therapy I, I'm reminded of the tricky brain kit that oh. you have created for this very point, I guess. Yeah, maybe absolutely. Have a, have a moment to plug it. Why <laughs> oh, don't thank you? you very much. So <laughs> the Our Tricky Brain Kit is um, for professionals working with people who experience trauma and or depression. And it really does help clients to understand why this none of this is their fault, but helps to, to put in sort of a, a formulation for why they are affected in the way that they are. And it's a really powerful exercise. It takes about probably about 40 minutes to run through with clients. But when it's Mm. done, you know, I've never yet had any feedback from anyone that says, no, that was not useful. They're all blown away by how powerful it is. So it's a little kit that comes in a canvas bag um, Mm. with um, three different pieces of the brain that you can lay out on a mat and then different um, different pieces to talk through that, that do talk through you know, the unique way that we, um, our mammalian brains are structured. 
um, and how that plays out for us as humans. And, um, you know, the way that our reptilian brain is, is, is focused on keeping us safe and will make us quite territorial and on, an, on high alert, which are a lot of the symptoms that you would see with someone who's traumatized. And then the human brain that keeps chucking back in thoughts of remember what happened to you? Oh, it was awful. You know, um, it's going to happen again. You've got to watch, you, you know, ah. Uh, and and everything gets stuck on a loop and you know you can suddenly smell something that um you know aftershave of you know the bus driver or whatever at the time and that can send you back into a spiral which sends you right back down to threat brain so the our tricky brain is a really useful kit um for using at the start of a therapeutic journey with somebody but then maps on all the way down the therapy because people actually really do because it's quite visual people really do um, internalize that and hold on to that. And it's really de-shaming. So people really feel this is not my fault. Um, this, you mm-hmm. know, this happens to other people too. This is not just a unique thing about me. Yeah, yeah really important. Real. And I know you've written a book as well, haven't you? Um, yeah, I've been busy. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have been. Go on, plug that as well. Why not? Okay, thank you very much. So I alluded to um, personal experiences of grief and the book Mm. is actually on grief as well. So it's called The Grief Collective, Stories of Life, Loss and Learning to Heal. And it's a really useful book for two reasons. It's useful if you're wanting to know how best to support somebody who is grieving, but it's also really useful and really validating for people who are experiencing grief for whatever reason. So it's 54 stories written by people who have experienced grief and uh, spoiler alert I'm in there one of the stories is mine. <laughs> um, but um, you know the, the reviews are coming through so it was published in October 2020 and you can grab it from Amazon or you can check out my website and the reviews are coming through and people find it to be really wonderfully normalizing and really helpful so people message me through my social media channels to say you know, this is really good. You know, I wasn't really sure how best to support my wife at this time, but this book's really helped me know what she might be going through and and what she might need. But also, um, I read a review just today on Amazon from someone who said, I've struggled with grief for three years. And this book has really, you know, helped me realise that what I'm experiencing is normal and that people do not want to talk about grief. So this is why I wrote the book, because when I was um, losing my father, there were a few people around me who actually were all right with talking about grief because they got it. They understood. Mm-hmm. And so they knew to check in with me and they knew that if I cried, that was OK, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just nice to be asked the question. So yeah. I think there's something very unique about knowing how to support someone who, who is grieving. And so I would say if, if you find that you're a bit of a loss, at a loss for how best to support someone grieving either personally or professionally, that the Grief Collective is a wonderful place to start. And I'm not just saying that because it's my baby, but because genuinely <laughs> it's it's a really helpful resource. It's a really helpful tool. It's available in paperback yeah. and ebook as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's brilliant. And it links very much well into the um, the three practical kind of reflective points that you shared earlier about tears being okay, compassion, yeah. you know, and, and, and just kind of knowing how to be available um at the times that are probably important to our clients um so that's great oh dr marianne trent it's been a pleasure thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today to talk trauma thank you for having me thank you for inviting me and yeah it's been a pleasure
Brill. I'll put your details in our show notes um, so people can um, grab those items um, should they find that they um, fit with their clients and, and, their, and, and for themselves. Thank you. And um, thanks to all those who are listening. Um, we hope to see you at the next podcast. Take care for now. Before you go, if you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 